Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Finding Dad Bod, where my dad, Coach Alex Van Houten, posts his 14 years of experience to work for you. You should listen to him. Here's Pity Beast Mode. Who knows who we could be if we could become 1% better every single day. What's up, guys? This is Alex Van Houten with Defining Dad Bod. I hope you're doing super well. You are listening to Season 3, Episode 34 of Defining Dad Bod, where we're talking about macros. This episode is sponsored by the Better Daily app. Work hard to become 1% better every single day, but don't do it alone. Connect with our awesome health and fitness community away from social media in a place with resources, support, encouragement, and real-life people who are working hard to do the same. The new application is live for Apple devices, and the Android application will go live next week. Check it out at definingdadbod.com slash betterdaily. Use coupon code DADBOD to get 25% off when you set up your subscription today. That's definingdadbod.com slash betterdaily. We're just finishing up the Spring Faithful 40 Challenge, and I'd love to see you in there. Go to definingdadbod.com slash betterdaily. Now, today's episode wraps up our previous three conversations about carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, and how to make sense of qualities and quantities in your own nutrition program. If you haven't listened to those, I would encourage going back to the previous three episodes and digesting those a bit. Haha, <laughs> see what I did there? In order to get the most out of today's conversation. Also, while I work to make all of our episodes practical, this one will be most practical if you have an opportunity to take notes while listening. I throw up some very specific numbers around calculating your protein needs and your needs around carbohydrates and fats. And I imagine if you're not in a place to write those things down, the numbers might make your head spin a little bit. Before we get there, our food for thought today comes from a new article that just came out on Fitbit.com. Fitbit is an activity monitor manufacturing company that creates wearables that can track your activity, you know, steps in a day. And over the past decade, as the product has gotten better and evolved more, it's also gathered an enormous amount of data on sleep. In fact, Fitbit's cache of sleep data is the most comprehensive and long-standing database for sleep that currently exists in the world. In other words, it's a very accurate sampling of what's going on for the average activity monitor user with regard to their sleep. I gotta say, reading the article blew me away because I didn't realize how late people were staying up and how little sleep people are actually getting. Don't get me wrong, I'm a dad with young kids and a business owner. I've had my fair share of sleep deprivation over the past couple years, but I was still amazed to find that generationally speaking, 
the average person is going to bed at 11.30 p.m. In some generations, millennials and Generation Z specifically, are going to bed at 1 a.m. and then sleeping for an average of about six hours a night. Now, I don't want to harp on you for how much sleep you are or aren't getting. That's not productive. But my food for thought for you today is this. Would you like to see improvements in your sleep habits? Or would you like to see improvements in your sleep function? Are you feeling rested? Are you having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep? And who have you talked to about this? It's funny. I work with people every single day who pay me to help them troubleshoot their exercise and their nutrition. And oftentimes, I'll work with them for many, many months before the issue of sleep ever crops up. Not because I don't ask, but for many people, it's on the back burner. I've done many shows here to help folks get better at sleep. I've talked about the role and importance and the scientific studies that back up those claims. But what I haven't said on this show, and what I hope you'll do today, is if you're wrestling with sleep, tell somebody about it. Not necessarily because you expect them to give you answers on what to try or how to go about it, but just so that you can get it out in the open. It's perfectly acceptable to tell people, I'm working on my diet right now. There are things I'm eating that aren't good for me. I'm trying to get rid of those. And I'm trying to incorporate some healthy things. And it's perfectly acceptable to share with your community that you're working on exercise, that you're trying to get your runs in regularly, that you're progressing in your yoga practice, or lifting heavier weights. But it's ironic to me that while we spend about one-third to one-quarter of our entire life sleeping, and almost everybody that I bring the subject up with articulates that they know something's wrong with their sleep habits, very few people are talking about it. How are you sleeping? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Shoot me a message at CoachL at DefiningDadBot.com. That's your food for thought today. I hope it gives you something to munch on. Now, without further ado, let's talk about using macronutrients as a way to improve our diets. Today we're going to talk about planning your macros. And if you've been following me for a while, you'll know that I say I generally coach calories last, meaning that there are many other things that I as a coach care about when helping somebody create better athletic performance, better body composition, better health and lifestyle habits, and better overall well-being before I actually get to coaching calories. And so, true to that philosophy, today follows a series in which I've gone through carbohydrates, fats, and proteins to talk about the nuances within the quantities when we measure grams of macros. If you haven't checked those episodes out yet, I highly encourage that you stop right now and go check those out, because everything I'm about to say today depends on the idea that you're getting good quality foods in your body, quality carbohydrates, quality fats, and quality proteins before the quantities that we talk about today really matter. And having that knowledge and wisdom under your belt is going to be valuable enough that now we can talk about quantities. Or, as some people would say, we can talk about meeting our macros. And so today I'm going to teach you how to create your own personal macronutrient profile. That is, how many grams of protein, how many grams of carbohydrates, and how many grams of fats that you should be eating in a day to reach your health and fitness goals. It's pretty complicated, and that's why a lot of people pay me to do this for them for a living. And if by the end of this episode your head's spinning a little bit, I'd love to help you out. A personalized macronutrient profile is something that's provided with our Jumpstart program. And you can find that at definingdadbod.com slash shop slash jumpstart. The link's in the show notes below. And while what I teach you today is science-based, the practice of science can be pretty difficult. So now with the shameless and hopefully life-saving plug out of the way, let's dive into macros. 
The first thing you need to know about macro planning is there's a difference between science and practice. Science is the discipline of using evidence to disprove hypotheses, whereas practice, especially in a clinical setting, is what you have to tell people to do every single day in order to help them achieve results. The reason I draw a distinction here is because from a scientific perspective, the best macronutrient profile for specific goals is still up in the air. The truth is, the scientific jury is still out on how many grams of carbohydrates people should be eating versus grams of fats. I speak specifically about this in episode 93, which is a review of a giant meta-analysis in the great carbs versus fats debate. Scientifically, we don't know how many grams of carbs people should be eating, and we don't know how many grams of fats are best for everybody from a body composition or health perspective. The problem with the answer, we don't know, is that people still have to figure out what to eat every day, and that's where practice differs from science. In clinical practice, that is, coaching people every day, you have to take what we do know and help people make that work well for their lives and their goals. And so what I'm going to walk you through today in macro planning is the process that I go through in order to help people understand what their macronutrient profile should look like and how we work to alter that over the course of their program in a way that helps them meet their goals and is good and healthy for them. So what do we actually know about macronutrient planning? While it's debatable how many grams of carbohydrates and how many grams of fat each individual would do best to consume, proteins are much less contentious. From a scientific perspective, the athletic, body composition, and health outcomes of protein intake is much more clear than those of carbohydrates and fats. And so in my practice, when I work with a client to help them plan their macronutrient profile, I start with protein. Now, scientifically speaking, the minimum amount of protein that a man or woman should consume in order not to be deficient, that is, to stave off health problems, is currently in the scientific literature as 0.36 grams per pound of body weight. Since you're listening to Defining Dad Bod, I'm sure you don't want to hear a bunch of complex equations, and so I'll try not to belabor the math too deeply, but this is important. If you're a 200-pound man and you're trying not to be deficient in protein, then we take 0.36 and we multiply it by 200 to give you a floor for your protein intake. 0.36 times 200 is 72 grams of protein a day. Now note, that is a scientific fact with regard to protein deficiency in humans. However, very few people actually come to me and say, Hey Alex, I'm really hoping you can help me with my nutrition. I don't want to be deficient in protein. Instead, what they're saying is, Alex, I really hope you can help me with my nutrition. I would like to trim down some, grow some muscle tissue, support my hormones, and improve my athletic performance. And I hope you hear the distinction too. That is, there's a difference between being deficient and being optimal for you. Now, in the episode on protein, I covered what protein actually does in the body and how our body uses the constituent parts called amino acids to build our metabolic tissues, our ligaments and tendons, enzymes, and even transporting structures in the body. And so, having a great metabolism, having good muscle tone, recovering from athletic endeavors, and even preventing injuries requires not just adequate protein intake, but optimal protein intake. And so the question is, what's optimal? There's a few different factors scientifically that we've found plays into the optimal amount of protein intake. In my practice, the two most important factors are the frequency and intensity of exercise and the amount of pounds of lean body mass that is desired by the person I'm working with. And while I would enjoy doing an entire series of the pros and cons of doing different protein intakes for different subjects, that's not why you're here today. And what you want to know is how many grams of protein 
do you need to eat every day? If you boil all the factors down and summarize the science in one sentence, then you come up with a great starting point. And the great starting point is this. If you're exercising regularly and you want to maintain good lean body tissue, then you need one gram of protein per pound of lean body mass every day. I'll say that again. One gram per pound of lean body mass every day. So let's come back to my 200 pound man. A 200 pound man who's 20% body fat has 40 pounds of non-lean tissue on him and 160 pounds of lean tissue on him. That's what it means to be 20% body fat. So in the course of his fitness goals, if my 200 pound man wants to drop body fat while maintaining his lean tissue, and he's going to exercise regularly to do so, then his perfect starting point with regard to protein intake is one gram per pound of lean tissue or 160 grams per day. And the same could be said for females. Let's say I'm working with a female who's 150 pounds and approximately 20% body fat. That means she has 30 pounds of fat on her, and so 120 pounds, approximately, of lean tissue. Therefore, if she's going to be exercising regularly and her goal is to maintain that lean tissue mass while she improves herself through nutrition, exercise, and lifestyle change, then a great starting point for her is 120 grams of protein. That's 150, her total body weight, minus 30, her fat weight, equaling 120, her lean body weight. We'll get to carbs and fats in just one second, but I want to make sure that we cover a few caveats to the protein intake thing. One, if you have a history of kidney or liver disease, then it's important to work with your doctor in order to monitor your body's response to your protein intake. Don't take these simple calculations as medical carte blanche to eat what you want. These are general nutrition recommendations based on scientific evidence for the general population. Number two, if you're not exercising regularly, meaning you're not doing weight training four to five days a week, and you're not participating in intense cardio bouts, then your protein intake can likely be less than what I'm recommending here. In fact, the recommendation for endurance athletes who are not weight training is 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. That turns out to be less protein in grams than what I've recommended here. On the other end of the spectrum, if you're participating in high-intensity cardiovascular exercise, athletic movements, and explosive and intense weight training, like doing CrossFit multiple times per week, or if you're recovering from an injury, then your protein intake needs are likely higher than what I've recommended here. Remember, protein is an essential part of the body's recovery process. If you're building new tissues or repairing damage, then protein's a necessity, and the more damage you do to your body, the more protein you need in order to recover from that damage. For most clients that I work with, who can commit four to eight hours per week to their exercise program, the one gram per pound of lean mass recommendation is both sufficient and doable for their activity needs. So step one in your macro planning program, decide how much protein you need to be eating daily. And here at Defining Dad Bod, we start with one gram per pound of lean body mass. Now comes the hard part, and that is making an intelligent decision about carbohydrates and fats when the jury of science has not come to a conclusion about what's best for carbohydrates and fats. Here, the best we can do is guess intelligently and then evolve the program based on the client's results. A bit of backstory here. About 10 years ago, I was introduced to what's called metabolic assessment, which is where you put a mask on somebody and put them through their paces in a peak VO2 assessment. That means you start nice and easy in the workout and then progress the intensity until they can't go any further. And then the contraption that you hook them up to 
measures their O2 and CO2 intake versus output, and so you get a graphical depiction of the carbs and fats that they're burning during their exercise program. Ten years ago, I was fascinated by this technology. Finally, a way that we could actually interpret whether or not somebody was burning too many carbohydrates as a fuel source or unable to get to those intensities and therefore burning too many fats as a fuel source. As somebody working to help coach people in their carb and fat intake, this took a lot of the guesswork out of the process for me. Six years later, after doing hundreds of these sorts of tests on many different types of people, it was my job to teach other trainers how to perform the assessments themselves. And what was powerful about that is having been exposed to so many different types of people and so many different assessments, I began to be able to guess what it is that they needed and then check to see if I was right by taking the test itself. If you want to hear more about what I learned through that process, there are two episodes on the show where I dive pretty deep into metabolic assessments. First, episode 114 recaps my trip to the Dominican Republic to teach a sports clinic there how to use metabolic assessments to coach the general population and athletes, and then for a good old-fashioned rundown of how to use cardiovascular exercise to better condition carbohydrates and fat utilization, check out episode 18 called Cardio, Heart Rate, and the Dad Bod, How to Build a Fine-Tune Fat-Burning Machine. The short of it is, understanding how much protein you should eat every day gives us a really good understanding of where you should start or the baseline for your carbohydrate and fat intake, and then, based on your conditioning and the intensity of your exercise program, we can manipulate fat and carbohydrates to match what you need every day. So first, the baseline. What's the baseline? The baseline is the ratio of carbs, fats, and proteins that's most commonly used in weight loss research without resulting in metabolic deficiencies or significant muscle loss. That ratio is 40-30-30. 40% carbohydrate intake, 30% fat intake, and 30% protein intake. Now, before you go crazy with the math, you need to understand that this ratio has to do with caloric intake from these macronutrients, not grams. And this is where listening to math could probably make your head spin. I'll say it, but I don't want you to dwell on it too much if you're not in a place where you can't write it down. One gram of protein is four calories. One gram of carbohydrates is four calories. And one gram of fats is equivalent to nine calories. So in order to calculate a baseline macronutrient intake in grams, you need to be able to convert your grams of protein, grams of fat, and grams of carbohydrates into calories to use this ratio. And then, utilizing this baseline in grams of protein, grams of carbs, and grams of fat, you can manipulate the grams of carbohydrates and grams of fat based on the intensity of the workout program and any special factors involved with you. Have I lost you yet? I hope not. Let's bring it all together with an example. Remember my 200-pound man who was 20% body fat? And that meant he needed to eat 160 grams of protein per day in order to fuel his body's recovery from his workout program and maintain his muscle tissue. So 160 grams of protein times 4 calories is 640 calories from protein. Remember our baseline ratio for carbs to fats to proteins is 40-30-30. So in this example, 640 calories is 30% of this man's estimated total need in a day. That means 640 calories from protein divided by 0.3 gives you approximately 2,100 calories needed today. For many of the more sophisticated calculators online that asks you your body weight and body fat percentage in order to give you an estimated caloric need, 
This is the same number they're using. The operative words here are estimated baseline. It's very possible that you might need a little more or a little less protein, and therefore a little more or a little less carbohydrates. And it's also possible that other factors, which we'll talk about at the end of this episode, might require you to eat a heavier carbohydrate diet, or on the flip side, a heavier fat diet. Either way, this is the estimated baseline. And in our practice here at Defining Dad Bod, the best starting point. So again, 160 grams of protein for our 200-pound man who's 20% body fat equals 640 calories from protein a day. Now to estimate our starting point in grams for carbohydrates and fats, we just use those conversions. For carbs, 40% of our 2,100 calories per day intake equals 840 calories. That's 840 calories of carbohydrates divided by 4, which gives you approximately 210 grams of carbohydrates needed every day for this 200-pound man at 20% body fat. So we have 160 grams of protein needed daily, 200 grams of carbohydrates needed daily, and now we can do fats. That's 0.3 times 2100, which is 630 calories of fats. It's the same amount of calories as proteins in this particular example, but the grams are different because there are 9 calories in 1 gram of fat. So 630 calories divided by 9 is 70 grams of fat needed daily. So a great estimated baseline for our 200-pound man at 20% body fat, without accounting for any other factors, is 160 grams of protein per day, 210 grams of carbs per day, and 70 grams of fat per day. Boom, you're a coach? Go sell it on Instagram. I'm just kidding. There's quite a bit more to it than that. But now you understand the estimated baseline using science, and now it's time to add in the conditionals, which is the practice part. What are the conditionals? Well, I like to think of it like this. The more athletic and conditioned you are, the more your body can handle carbohydrates well as a fuel source without negative detriments to your appetite or your health. What are the practice factors? Well, intensity of exercise and muscle fiber types affects how much carbohydrate you should consume on a daily basis. Similarly, how satiated you feel and the volume of conditioning that you're doing affects how much fats you should eat on a daily basis. In layman's terms, that means if you're lifting heavy weights, and working out very intensely on a regular basis, then carbohydrates will fuel your performance and help your muscle tissue grow. The corollary to that statement, however, is that carbohydrates have oxygen built right into the molecule as a fuel source, which means that if your body's really bad at moving oxygen and you consume large amounts of carbohydrates, then you will never force your body to use fat as a fuel source during your workouts. And so carbohydrate intake with high-intensity exercise in a deconditioned or overfat person may not yield the best results body composition-wise. So in my practice, when I'm working with clients who have body composition goals, that is, they come to me and say, I'd like to gain some muscle and lose some fat, or I'd like to tone up, or I'd like to lose some weight, but I don't want to reduce my metabolism in the process, then I generally lean toward a lower carbohydrate and higher fat recommendation in the initial conditioning phases of training. And then, in later phases of training, when things get more intense, and they've built a solid foundation of conditioning, we increase our carbohydrate intake without negative detriment to our body composition. Again, I might have lost you. So let's come back to our initial example of our 20% body fat, 200-pound man. Remember his baseline was 160 grams of protein per day, 210 grams of carbohydrates per day, and 70 grams of fat per day. The way I communicate this preference to a client to keep a low carbohydrate profile 
versus their fat intake in the initial stages of training is by changing the verbiage of the average coach. I don't say, let's work to meet your macros. Instead, I make my protein, carbohydrate, and fat recommendation with a side statement. I say, hey man, let's get at least 160 grams of protein in your diet every day. Let's get no more than 210 grams of carbohydrates in your day. And let's get around 70 grams of fat in your day. And what that communicates to the person is this. I need you to hit your protein intake. That's the most important number I've given you so far. At the same time, let's keep tabs on your carbohydrate intake because there's no reason to go overboard in these initial stages of training. And lastly, let's be conscious of our fat intake, but we don't need to be too restrictive right now. And with that as a baseline starting point, we're able to see significant results in the first four to eight weeks of training without really having to change our estimated baseline much. Now, there's a lot of caveats to macro planning, and I want to cover those with you today as well. But before we get there, let's make sure we're on the same page. Macronutrient planning and programming is not an exact science. Since the jury's still out on the great carbohydrates versus fats debate, then we have to start the planning process with the one macronutrient we know is good for everybody, and that's protein. Boiling down the protein research to a rule of thumb says that for optimal body composition and workout recovery, one gram of protein per pound of lean body mass daily is a great recommendation to start with. And then from there, applying the 40-30-30 ratio for carbs, fats, and proteins gives you a great starting point. And then, as exercise intensity increases, or different muscle fiber types are targeted for growth and training, you can manipulate your carbs and fats appropriately. Now, I promised you some conditional factors on how to make this macro planning even more personalized and individual. So first, something that I implement regularly at Defining DadBot as a part of our Jumpstart program is I require our clients to keep a food journal every day. Journaling your food every day doesn't sound like much, but especially if we're looking at macronutrient intake and the foods that are creating those macronutrient profiles, by the end of the week, we can have a really good understanding of where we're starting. So if I take the information I just told you about creating a baseline, and I compare that to the baseline of practice that every single person has walking into their program, then we can create some really revealing observations, and the client and I can talk through the specifics of improving their macronutrient profile daily. For instance, using the example of the 200-pound man at 20% body fat, Let's say in our consultation, he says, I've tried a lot of different things, and I'm not recovering very well from my workouts. I'm sore for days afterward, and no matter what I do, I can't seem to make the midsection go away. And after a week of journaling, we find that he's eating 100 grams of protein a day, which is 60 less than what I've recommended here, and is regularly getting 300 grams of carbohydrates daily as well. I will find myself saying at the end of a jumpstart week, hey man, you did a great job journaling your food. One of the things you can do to fine-tune your program in these conditioning phases is increase your protein intake and decrease your carbohydrate intake. And many times those clients would tell me, I didn't realize I was eating so many carbohydrates, and I didn't realize I was having such a hard time getting enough protein in my day. Now, not everything's that simple, but I'm using a simple example to make a point. Knowing your macronutrient guidelines and actually putting them into practice for you are not the same thing. And it's been my experience that food journaling is a very significant and important part of becoming aware of your opportunities for improvement. Also, as a coach, it helps me to address some of the specific pain points in your day. Perhaps there are some better things that you could eat as a snack than what you're currently eating. Perhaps you are skipping breakfast is what's causing you to overeat at dinner. Or perhaps you just need somebody to challenge you about how many grams of carbohydrates are in two bananas when you add them to your smoothie daily. 
Whatever your opportunities are, a general guideline, no matter how scientific, does not automatically translate to everyday practice. And everyday practice is what builds a better you. So my advice? Do some journaling, and then compare what you're actually doing right now to what you might ideally be doing to get better results, and work your way into that. The next factor that could influence your optimal macronutrient intake is genetics. Now, I both love and hate bringing up genetics, because we don't understand that science as well as we should right now. We're getting better. In fact, if you Google it, you'll find a whole bunch of products and services asking you to purchase something to tell you how many carbs and fats you should be eating every day. In my experience, the science there is elementary at best. However, there is some plausibility to the idea. I've spoken about this on the show before regarding specifically the APOE4 genetic mutation that makes some people really good at clearing fat from their bloodstream and others not so good. In this sense, my house is a house divided. My wife does not have this genetic mutation, and so she generally eats a much higher macronutrient content from fats than I do. I do have this genetic mutation, and therefore I need to limit some of my fat intake, especially saturated fat intake, in order not to have negative repercussions down the road in terms of cardiovascular disease. So while my wife could eat full-fat Greek yogurt, avocado, eggs, and beef every day, boosting her fat macronutrients way over my threshold, my body generally does best on a higher carbohydrate intake compared to fats. So do you need to go get a genetic test in order to tell you whether you do better with fats or carbohydrates? Well, maybe. But I actually knew this about myself before I even did the test having experimented on myself several times where I've increased my fat intake and decreased my carbohydrate intake and felt unenergetic, depressed, and had significant digestive issues with that. We would eat like that, and my wife would be perfectly fine while she said, man, what is wrong with your stomach? Which brings me to my next caveat, gut health. Whether or not you know your genetics, you know every single day whether or not your gut's happy. Indigestion, irritable bowel disease, or all-around irregular bowel movements are all indications that you might need to change your carbohydrate-to-fat intake ratio. There's a lot more to it than that, and again, I've told you that if you haven't listened to the shows on carbohydrates and fats specifically, I highly recommend you go check those out as we talk about different types of fats and different types of carbohydrates that can affect your microbiome differently. The short of it is, I'm not going to ask any client to follow a macronutrient profile that even given high-quality food is still making their digestive system unhappy. And without getting too graphic, I'll just leave it at that. The last thing I'll say about macronutrient planning is about energy balance. How do you use macronutrient planning to create overall weight loss deficits or overall weight gaining surpluses? Note, I've done an entire series called Beyond Calories to talk about how your body is more than just the calories that you eat versus the calories you burn. And if you haven't heard that series yet, I would love for you to go check it out at definingdadbot.com slash beyond calories. But the short of it is this. If you're looking to gain some body mass, then one of the best things you can do with your baseline macronutrient profile is to increase your protein intake and your carbohydrate intake on heavy lifting days. The carbohydrate intake will fuel the muscles for performance and boost your insulin slightly so that you can increase your anabolic state. And the increased protein intake will enhance your recovery so you can build tissue that wasn't there before. In some lines of thinking, this is taken to the extreme where people are eating 1,000 to 1,500 more calories than they actually need in a day, creating a hugely anabolic state that builds both fat and muscle tissue. They call this the gains phase, and then they enter a cutting phase, where they decrease the caloric intake and try to maintain as much of that muscle tissue as possible while cutting all the fat. This is common practice in physique and bodybuilding competitions, and the results are fantastic. 
The only problem with that is the results are often temporary, and therefore, in my practice, I don't generally recommend it. Instead, a modest increase in caloric intake on heavy lifting days, combined with intelligent cardiovascular exercise on non-lifting days, can find you gaining muscle mass well without putting on a ton of fat, or even any fat at all. And then if you do have a cutting phase, that phase can be relatively short-lived with a very small deficit. And since there's not a lot of pendulum swinging from a metabolic perspective for you, then those results are much more likely to be sustainable. On the other side of the spectrum, if you're working to create an energy deficit in order to lose a significant amount of fat, then there are many ways people have gone to go about this. In general, keeping your protein intake high and cutting your fats and or carbohydrates can be an effective way to create an energy deficit. The problem with long-term deficits, however, is that your body's not stupid. When you deprive it of energy, there will be a deficit for a period of time until the body gets more and more efficient, or in layman's terms, decreases the metabolic rate in order to equal your intake. I've seen this happen with people who come to me because they've been eating 1,200 calories a day for the better part of six months, have been exercising intensely, and while they lost weight for a short period of time, they've stopped losing weight and instead are actually gaining it, and they're very confused. They thought that by eating 1,200 calories per day, they would lose the weight that they needed to lose, and then once they lost the weight they needed to lose, they could go back to eating normally and be happy at their new weight. Unfortunately, the thermodynamic science that undergirds the calories in versus calories out way of thinking about food does not account for one very important factor. That is, your body changes how many calories it needs every single day. When you're stressed, you burn more calories. When you're depressed, you burn fewer calories. When you exercise, you burn more calories thereafter. When you don't exercise, you burn fewer calories. Studies even show that some people who exercise burn fewer calories the rest of the day because they fidget less. My point here is, creating an energy deficit through macronutrients is not difficult. Eat less food. No big deal. But what is difficult is creating an energy deficit over time that doesn't lower your metabolism, but instead supports muscle growth, good energy, and good healthy hormonal balance. While I've said regularly that at Defunding Dad Bod, calories are the last thing that I coach to help people make a difference in their health and fitness, that doesn't mean I don't coach them at all. But the real trick to the deficit is to coach those deficits in a way that is one, psychologically sustainable, and two, doesn't result in my client's decreased metabolic output. And that, I would argue, is quite a bit more of an art than a science. If you need help coming up with your own personalized macronutrient profile for yourself, I recommend jumping into our jumpstart at definingdadbod.com slash shop slash jumpstart. I'd be honored to be in your corner to make this a powerful part of your long-term health and fitness plan. That's definingdadbod.com slash shop slash jumpstart. This has been Alex Van Houten with Defining Dadbod. My best to you in making the most out of your fats, carbohydrates, and proteins in your own individual fitness journey. It's your life. Use the science to live it well. Until next time, guys. Kick butt, take names. The free practical advice and conversations here remain unbought and unbiased thanks to the support of Better Daily. If this episode has been helpful to you, share it with someone in your life you know it will benefit. Then subscribe to the podcast and leave us a raving review to tell others what value Defining Dad Bond has brought to your health and fitness journey. Finally, if you're struggling for betterment, don't do it alone. We all have a cross to carry, and it's lighter when we do it together. Go to definingdadbond.com slash betterdaily to get supported, challenged, 
and inspired to take yourself to the next level. Who knows who we could be if we could become 1% better every single day. Go to definingdadbod.com slash better daily today. That's definingdadbod.com slash better daily.